We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. Many younger Americans struggle with mental illness in isolation. They don't know who to talk to or even how to talk about what's happening to them. While the pandemic exacerbated mental illness, more young people were reporting persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness, as well as suicidal thoughts and behaviors in the years even before the lockdown. The CDC reported an increase of 40 percent in those feelings among young people in the 10 years leading up to the pandemic. So if just talking about mental illness can help, how do we jumpstart this conversation? That's part of the goal of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which works to advocate for mental health resources and education. Carrie Graves is executive director of NAMI Metropolitan Baltimore, and she joins us now. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sheila. Thanks for having me on. We're also joined by Julia Wong, a student ambassador for NAMI on the Johns Hopkins East Baltimore campus, which comprises the School of Medicine, School of Public Health, and School of Nursing. At the Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, Julia Wong is studying for a Master's of Science in Public Health with a focus on health education and health communication. Welcome to the show, Julia. Hi, Sheila. Thanks for having me on. When you look around at your fellow students, Julia, do you think they have the right tools to work through mental health issues? Personally, I don't think they do, but I do think that the school tries to give them the resources and tools to help them out. I think what NAMI does really well, though, is that with the I Will Listen campaign, they start priming the student really early on in October uh, to think about mental health because if you look at JHU across the board, there's a lot of international students. There's a lot of people who come from different backgrounds coming into Baltimore, and these students might not have ever heard of mental health before they came here. And so by having like a safe space and by having a campaign that discusses mental health and educates people about mental health and creating a safe space for everyone to discuss it, I think that resources are being communicated to the people and there's more health education going on. And I think there's more awareness and more policy level changes that are occurring even within the school to help with mental health now. Carrie, before I ask you about the I Will Listen campaign that, that Julia mentioned, I know NAMI does a lot of work on college campuses. What are some of the challenges in reaching students in that age group? Absolutely. Well, what we know is that college students are at a um, very sensitive age, right? It's an average age of diagnosis for a mental health condition. They are away from home, potentially for the first time. They've got stressors from exams from heavy course loads and they're just in a new environment and trying to figure out hey the rest of their lives and so you know we know that our college counseling centers as julia mentioned they are um under resourced there are wait lists for many of them they are appearing to be somewhat inaccessible to students um, or students aren't aware of the services that are offered or that they should be seeking assistance. And so, and then you have students that are coming potentially from family backgrounds where they weren't comfortable talking about their mental health condition. And so it is really a, a prime um, sort of breeding ground for stigma, right? And we wanna make sure that we are eradicating that stigma just as soon as college students get there, that we are normalizing the conversation around mental health. And so that has been 
a real priority for us, not just during the I Will Listen campaign, but year round. We have a young adult support group that we offer that's free year round. And so we wanna make sure that we are offering students support both on their campus, but in the community in general. And the I Will Listen campaign, Carrie, that um, NAMI launches every year, that's on how many Maryland campuses? That is on 16 Baltimore City and Baltimore County college campuses. So um, we have covered just about all of them. We are moving into working with trade schools in this coming year. So we aren't just invested in colleges, but we want to make sure any um, young adult or youth is receiving the same tools to have conversations with each other around mental health. And the goal is to promote conversation about mental health on campus. How do you start the conversation? So for a lot of individuals, taking a step into counseling might seem too daunting, but having a peer, a friend or a family member who is willing to talk to you about mental health can seem much more accessible. So all of NAMI's programs are peer-based in nature. All of our programs are meant to complement any clinical treatment that an individual might decide to receive. However, what's important is that our programs are led by peers. They are led by individuals, volunteers like Julia, who have been trained by NAMI to share their story in the community, to share their story with others in a way that helps encourage them to speak up about their mental health as well and seek clinical treatment. Sometimes students just need that listening ear, right? We say that listening is the best way to help someone who has a mental health condition. It doesn't mean that you need to have a clinical degree. It doesn't mean that you need to have all of the answers for your friend or your family member. It just means that being a supportive individual can make all of the difference to someone who is concerned about their mental health and just needs to talk a little bit to find their path. Julia, tell me how you have participated in I Will Listen. So I was the I Will Listen campaign ambassador last year and this year. And some of the activities we had were like an active listening session where we practice empathetic listening, trying not to cut other people off and also have reaffirming their views and so forth without putting them down or minimizing their feelings. Uh, we have a Meet the Ambassador campaign uh, where I went to the School of Medicine, School of Nursing and the Bloomberg School of Health and we distributed a resource and educated the student body on the different college resources. I know that a lot of the students didn't know that Hopkins students can get the Calm app for free and they learned about that and they didn't know that there was like different hotlines that they can call. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with Carrie Graves, Executive Director of NAMI Metropolitan Baltimore, and Julia Wong, a student ambassador for NAMI at Johns Hopkins University. We're talking about stigma and mental health among young people. Carrie, I know NAMI tries to work with people of all ages, and a key feature of your classes or support groups is that they are led by volunteers. What, what do volunteers bring to your programming? Volunteers are truly the heart of our programs. Uh, we have close to 200 volunteers that serve our affiliate here in Baltimore City and County. They are individuals who are living with a mental health condition and living well in recovery, or individuals who have caregift for someone with a mental health condition, such as a parent or a grandparent. 
and they share their lived experience. So these are not clinicians. These are um, these are you know individuals who have been there. They have walked the walk. They have been through tough situations, um, and they help others navigate their own situations by sharing their stories. Our volunteers facilitate support groups as well as edu educational classes. And those are support groups for individuals living with a mental health condition, as well as classes, uh, uh, support groups and classes for family members who are caregiving for someone with a mental health condition. And so truly our volunteers are helping so many individuals in the community simply by sharing what they've been through. And again, I go back to that word of normalizing. It's about they are normalizing the conversation around mental health, making individuals feel that they are not alone in this, that they've got someone walking side by side with them um, and encouraging them along the way. And, and that can be just such a powerful mechanism for individuals as they are navigating what is an incredibly hard behavioral health system and navigating um, a very complicated condition because all mental health conditions can prove present in different ways and can have different journeys. Uh, let me pick up on what you said about inpatients, especially young people who are inpatients. Yeah. What what do people in the midst of recovery need to know and, and how are you trying to reach them? You know, most of the presentations that we have just mentioned, the, the I Will Listen campaign, as well as Ending the Silence, which is our middle and high school program, they're very prevention focused. But for individuals in the inpatient setting, they're in it, they're in the thick of it, right? They've got the, they've got the symptoms, they are in a crisis situation. And for a youth or a young adult who is in the inpatient setting, it can be a very, very scary experience. And so what we are doing right now is something very innovative and something we are very excited about, which is we are launching a new um, presentation program. It will mirror the national program in our own voice, which is a, a adult recovery pro focused program, which is where two adults with a mental health condition share their lived experience of in a structured way of what happened, what helps and what's next. And we do that presentation with multiple hospitals across our area in the inpatient setting to offer those adults hope of recovery on the other side. But it doesn't help if we bring that presentation to a youth inpatient setting. They're seeing adults in front of them, and we need them to see people that look like them and that are the same age as them. And so we are creating a new youth in our own voice presentation series. We are, have just finished casting for that series, Our Youth, um, and we will be filming them at the end of January and hoping to roll that program out by the summertime. So working on a quick timeline here. And it's exciting because it's it. we were granted by our national office to pilot and develop this program and hope to roll it out nationwide. Thank you both for talking to us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Carrie Graves is executive director of NAMI Metropolitan Baltimore. Julia Wong, a student ambassador for NAMI on Johns Hopkins East Baltimore campus, is a Master of Science in Public Health student. Short break on the record when we're back, a unique approach to meeting high demand for mental health services in Harford County. I'm Sheila Cass, stay with us.
Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Before we begin, a warning that in the next 10 minutes or so, we'll be talking about depression and suicide. During the pandemic, according to Gallup polling, more Americans reported having depression or receiving treatment for depression. In fact, in 2020, that number was higher than at any point since Gallup started collecting such data in 2015. That 2020 data about depression may well reflect the times. Sickness, grief, and social isolation take a toll. But as reflected in the Gallup polling, the trend is continuing to rise after surging COVID-19 infection rates and stringent public health lockdowns. Why are so many Americans struggling with depression? Jennifer Redding is a licensed clinical social worker and executive director of behavioral health services for the University of Maryland Upper Chesapeake Health and the Klein Family Center in Bel Air. She's here to share her observations about depression. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sheila, for having me. The data tell us that the mental health of many Americans suffered over the pandemic, but those numbers have not improved since. Does that surprise you? It, Quite frankly, it doesn't surprise me. I know, you know, working in the field of mental health for many, many years, um, we, we tend to see ebbs and flows. Obviously, n- not many of us have lived through the pandemic that we, we lived through um, several years ago. And so while the, the bulk of the focus was on the physical health ramifications, um, the way I sort of describe it is that there's a long-lasting ripple effect um, long past the physical ramifications. Um, the level of isolation and disconnection that so many of us experienced really rocked the the normal sort of life that we've all lived. Almost four years since the start of the pandemic, suicide rates nationally continue a gradual climb. What's going on there? It's hard to describe. I know, you know, the work that we're doing in Harford County um, and throughout Central Maryland, um, one of the bigger challenges that we are, are working towards is access to care. We don't want someone who is sort of raising their hand saying, I need help. And then finally, you know, stepping forward and not being able to get in front of a provider when they need it right away. So in Harford County in particular, we have created a a crisis center, if you will, and we call it the Klein Family Center. And just as you would um, a physical health urgent care center, we have a behavioral health urgent care center. And so there's no appointment necessary. We're open every day of the year. Um, And so folks really can just walk in. You're going to get in front of a licensed therapist um, to really sort of navigate what's going on, what are the resources. And it's more than just getting a phone number saying, call this provider in the community. Our team really walks you through how to connect um, and, and get the help that you need. If you need medication, you know, oftentimes if you're trying to link with a community psychiatrist or um, a prescriber, it takes months to get in. At the Klein Family Center, you literally can get in front of a prescriber with no appointment Monday through Friday, 9 to 3. Um, otherwise, if it's outside of those hours, you, you come back the next day and, and we're going to get you in front of that prescriber if that's what you need. How long have you been taking this approach, the Klein Center? The Klein Center has been open um, about four and a half years. Um, we continue to evolve and, and really are cognizant of what the na- the needs are in our community. And so we continue to sort of expand services based on what those identified service needs and gaps are. Well, what, how many visitors are you seeing these days? In the past year um, alone, we've seen um, a, a 
well over 10,000 people that have come through the doors. So we, we provide three levels of care at the Klein Family Center. We have the urgent care walk-in center, like I mentioned. We have a residential crisis bed program right there on site, which really, I mean, what that means is we have eight beds that folks can stay with us for as little as one day. Um, on average, folks stay with us between eight and 10 days. And it's a nice in-between um, from from outpatient care and then having to be hospitalized. And during that time, folks can get in front of our psychiatrist. They can get in front of our licensed therapist. We have peer recovery coaches who are people who have lived experience with both mental health treatment as well as substance use uh, treatment. And we have care coordinators. So again, the world of mental health can be incredibly overwhelming and confusing. And so we have sort of those navigators that help um, you and your family navigate what's best for you. That's Jennifer Redding, a licensed clinical social worker and executive director of behavioral health services for the University of Maryland, Upper Chesapeake Health, and the Klein Family Center in Bel Air. This is on the record on WIPR. I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about finding help for illnesses related to mental health. And let me mention the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is available 24 7 at 988. You can call or text 988. Find more information at 988 Lifeline. I'm really struck by what you're telling me about the Klein Center because the nonprofit Mental Health America's 2022 State of Mental Health in America report said that many Maryland residents experiencing mental illness are going untreated. The report found that more than half of Marylanders with mental illness, 58%, did not receive treatment. Maryland ranks 40th out of 51 in that report. That doesn't match what you're seeing. One of the biggest factors, you know, when we talk about access to care, you can have programs that folks, you know, can come to, but there's also a huge stigma associated with mental health and substance use treatment. You know, if you break your arm, if your child breaks their arm, of course you're going to take them to get treatment. Um, you, you wouldn't think twice. But when people are suffering from depression, anxiety, and it really is interrupting their daily functioning, you know, they're having a hard time going to work, they're having a hard time going to school. The stigma of, oh my gosh, what does this mean? Does this mean that, you know, I'm, I'm broken, I'm less than? What are people going to say about me? And so it really keeps people from reaching out to those resources. Um, at the Klein Family Center, we're really working, obviously, to provide that care and treatment, but also to spread the word that mental health is just as important as physical health. And one, um, you know, really relates to the other. And so you have to take care of your entire body, your entire mind and soul. For people in Harford, is transportation a barrier to getting attention? Just in, in general, in Harford County, transportation is definitely an issue. Our county is really spread out and, um, you know, there are there's a lot of farmland. Um, and so it can be challenging. While it's not our number one sort of resource, what I will say is that if someone is truly in need um, and they're expressing the desire for help, um, our mobile team can come out to them. But if they will be better served at the crisis center, we can help with transportation. You know, and so obviously we're going to sort of run through that individual's resources, such as do they have a family member or a friend who can bring them in? And if it still looks like that, that they don't have resources, we can help cover the cost for a lift um, or other transportation um, to get them to the crisis center um, and get them back home or wherever they were. So are you seeing 
the kind of increase in suicides that we're hearing about nationally? In Harford County in particular, where our resources are, um, unfortunately, we're higher than the state average. Um, in Harford County, 2021 are the latest uh, data points that, that we have, and we were at 14.4 individuals per 100,000 compared to the state average, which was 10.10 per 100,000. So we're, f- you know, four points over the state average in, in Harford County where, you know, we have these resources and yet we're still seeing this higher number of completed suicides is alarming. And so for those of us in, in the mental health arena, we're really working hard um, to get the word out. You know, we're working with younger people, you know, and, and sort of normalizing um, talk about mental health. The National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline launched about a year and a half ago in July 2022. In its first year, a KFF Health News analysis found the service was contacted five million times. Are you seeing an impact of 988? We are, and and we actually in Harford County have our own hotline. Um, it's one eight hundred Next Step, and so 988 connects into that number. And so locally, um, when folks throughout Maryland contact 988, um, that. Uh, resource then reaches out locally so that, you know, if someone is living in Harford County or near Harford County, they're going to to be in the know with with Harford County specific resources. Um, We are definitely seeing an increase in calls. We also have a mobile crisis team um, that operates around the clock. So what that means is when someone needs more than just a phone call, and they don't feel like they can come into the crisis center, um, we have a mobile dispatch team partnering with our local office on mental health. And so teams of two uh, mental health professionals go out to where that person is and talks with them, helps sort of assess the situation and get them the resources that they need so that they don't have to be at home or be in the community by themselves. The winter months can be particularly difficult for people. What are the drivers of mental health, especially around this time of year? I think I I call it um, the woulda, shoulda, couldas. You know, so many of us get caught up in what we, you know, think we should be doing or feeling. We all have um, our own life experience. Some of it is positive, some of it not so much. And so the holidays, you know, there's this, this, this misperception in my mind of what we should be doing, we should be feeling all of this joy. You see social media, you see the TV and all of these things. And when you don't feel that way, um, you start to think again that something is wrong with you. And so um, I think that in and of itself is hard. I think just the fact that it gets dark at like 4 p.m. is tough on people. Um, the lack of sunlight, um, and just, you know, when it's cold outside, people tend to stay in. So again, broken record, but that connectedness is so vital. And so if you're staying in, you're not necessarily connecting with others like you might do in the warmer months. Are there some simple things people can do to help themselves in January? Absolutely. And so, again, this is not um, some secret sort of answer. It's common sense, but it, it, it warrants saying it. It's staying connected. Check on your neighbors. Check on your friends. Reach out to family. 
Um, try to stick with a routine. You know, even if you don't have to work or go to school during some of the vacation breaks, um, try to get up at the same time every day. Stick to that routine. Try to get a little bit of exercise in there when you can, even if it's just walking around inside of your house if it's too cold or maybe going to a shopping mall where you can walk and get your heart rate up, you know, a good 15, 20 minutes a day in and of itself can help kind of boost those natural neurotransmitters in your brain like serotonin that just naturally make you feel better. Um, Any of those things are, are a place to start. What should we do if someone we're close to seems to be struggling? I think sometimes there's this overwhelming feeling like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to say. I I don't know what to do. And and again, I think it's just reaching out and and being a listening ear so that that person doesn't feel alone, doesn't feel crazy, doesn't feel like they're the only person on the planet experiencing those symptoms. And then if it seems to be too much, you know, you don't have to have the answers, but it's reaching out. You know, again, uh, the Klein Family Center, we have that phone number, one 800 next step. And and we can help navigate. Even if you don't want to come in and bring your loved one in, we can help sort of navigate what some of the resources are. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Jennifer Redding is a licensed clinical social worker and executive director of Behavioral Health Services for the University of Maryland Upper Chesapeake Health and the Klein Family Center in Bel Air. The Harford County hotline is 1-800-NEXT-STEP. And the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is available 24-7 at 988. Again, 1-800-NEXT-STEP or 988. I'm Sheila Cass. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow.